Hello and welcome to the Beach House 34 podcast. I'm your host, Christine Worth. And before we start off doing anything today, I just wanted to thank you so much for your patience. I know that this uh, episode has been a little bit uh, longer coming than the other episodes, and uh, I truly, truly appreciate your patience with this. Today is October 12th. And as you know, for uh, this episode and for some of the upcoming weeks, because, well, it's approaching Halloween, I'm going to be covering kind of some scary and paranormal stories. Now, this particular episode deals with a truly terrifying haunting that was actually used as the basis for the movie The Conjuring, which debuted in 2013. Now, if you're easily scared uh, by hearing things about things that go bump in the night and so forth, this might not be the episode for you. Um, It is rather scary as to what happened to this family. But if, on the other hand, uh, you want to separate some fact from fiction, you want to find out if the house is really haunted and what has and continues to happen there, keep listening. Let's first start off by talking about the house itself and how it came to be what it is. In 2013, as I mentioned, a movie made its debuts, debut in the theaters. The movie was called The Conjuring, and it tells the story of a family of seven, mom, dad, and their five daughters, who moved to this house, and it was the house of their dreams, in 1971. It's located in Rhode Island, but shortly after they moved in, they were terrorized by multiple spirits inhabiting the home. Now, after watching the movie, people have commented that they're now afraid of their own home, that parents should not let their kids watch this movie at all, and that they think that the movie actually even traumatized them. So there's a forewarning for you. Uh, if you've ever personally watched the movie, you know what a scary place this is. Now, while movies do what they do and Hollywood kind of takes on their own take as to what happened to true stories, um, the movie is about 50 to 80% based on fact. And this discrepancy in the percentages really depends upon who you listen to. Shockingly, the story behind the house is even more frightening than what was shown in the movie. Now, of all the girls who lived at the house, Andrea has been the most vocal by far about what has occurred. She was the oldest daughter of Robert and Carolyn Perrin. And as the oldest sister, she was often sought out by her younger, younger sisters for comfort whenever they got scared. Andrea has written three books about the house and what happened there, and it took her until she was about 49 years old to finally come out and lay it all out for everybody to read. What you will hear today are several, but not all, of the incidents that occurred inside the home while the parents resided there, as well as what has occurred to various paranormal teams who have investigated the home since the parents moved out 
1980. Around 1970, Carolyn Perrin decided she wanted a better place to raise her children. At their current house, one summer in particular, incidents began to happen to the family. Their dog, who was new to the family, was hit and killed by a car. And within their neighborhood, a young girl had been tied up and gagged at the school playground by a group of teenage boys. Now, during the summer, uh, they decided, hey, we haven't been on a vacation in a while. I know money's tight, but let's, let's go have a little mini vacation. So that summer, they went on a family vacation. But when they got back, they found one of their cats dead with its skull crushed on the front lawn. Their house had been broken into and ransacked and two of their other cats had been taken. Just a few weeks later, a man had suffered a heart attack while he was driving his truck and ended up crashing on their lawn. Now, after all of these incidents, Carolyn was determined to find another place to raise her daughters, and who could blame her, right? Her husband, Robert, he traveled for business a lot, So he wasn't home very often. And Carolyn decided that what she was going to do was she was going to start to see what kind of properties were available for sale. Although decisions were usually made as a family, Carolyn had had it with where they were living, their location, and decided to take matters into her own hands. You know, even if she wanted to call Robert and talk with him about it, she wouldn't have really been able to get in contact with with him uh, very easily. You know, this was way, way before the dawn of cell phones. So if you were working on the road, you had to take the time to find a payphone at, say, a gas station or just even along the road somewhere, and then call home, hoping to catch somebody there. As I mentioned, you know, as it was, the family is already having a hard time keeping up with their bills. But this feeling in Carolyn to find a better place for her girls just would not leave her be. So one day she happened to pick up a free paper while leaving the grocery store. And later on in the evening, when she had time, she started to go through this paper when an ad for a farm for sale caught her eye. It sounded perfect. She knew that she was taking a chance not telling her husband, but she didn't want to have to wait for him to come home before jumping at the chance to go see this property. Now, even though it was late, she called the number uh, that was within the ad and made an appointment to see the house the next day. So the next day arrives, she gathers all the girls up in the car and tells them they're just all going to go on a little adventure for the day. And she drove for hours to the farm's location, which was uh, well beyond the city. When they arrived, Carolyn immediately fell in love. The large farmstead in Rhode Island, it was a beautiful and very historic home. It resided on 200 acres filled with large trees and it was just a short walk uh, from the house to a pond or a brook called Round Top Brook, filled with sparkling water, had plenty of fish in this pond. So 
great, great location. Their closest neighbors at the time were about a half a mile away, and the whole environment was just serene. It was beautiful. It was quiet. Carolyn discovered later that the house itself had an extremely rich history. It was actually one of the original Providence plantations, which was one of the original 13 colonies established on the East Coast that bordered the Atlantic Ocean. The land itself was deeded in 1680 from Roger Williams, who was assisted by John Smith. Now, this is the same John Smith of Pocahontas fame, actually. The house itself was completed in 1736. It was then deeded to the Richardson-Arnold family and eventually became known as the Arnold Estate. And for years, generations and generations, the Arnolds lived and worked this farm. When Carolyn and the girls arrived, they met the current homeowner, Mr. Kenyon. He did not want to sell the farm, but he was getting on in age and his son was concerned for him because he was all by himself out in the middle of nowhere on this huge property. So his son had actually built him a house on his own property and thus Mr. Kenyon had to sell the farm. He was delighted to see such a large family come and visit the farm. He told the girls, just go off, just go running and explore. And they all took off around the large property And after they'd been playing for a while, it was very warm that day. They came back all sweaty and out of breath. He brought out cookies and lemonade for the girls. Carolyn was so in love with the place that she gave the realtor a $500 deposit just to make sure that no one else could stake a claim. Now, this left her with relatively little in the bank account for food and such. She was absolutely certain that Roger would love the place as much as she did. Now, when Roger returns home, he finds out what Carolyn has done. He wasn't happy about it, uh, but he did agree to go see the farm. And as soon as he made his way to the water, he was totally sold. And by this time, Carolyn and Mr. Kenyon had really struck up a pretty close friendship. And during this time, Mr. Kenyon told Carolyn about some of the history of the farm. For instance, in 1938, there was a hurricane that happened to claim at least 13 lives on the farm. Uh, Mrs. John Arnold, one of the members of the Arnold family who, remember, has lived there for generations, actually hung herself in the barn at the age of 93. And uh, rumor has it is that she was just so distraught by her husband's passing that she just didn't want to uh, continue on. But as all old locations do, they all have a story. And uh, whatever Mr. Kenyon told Carolyn, it just simply didn't matter. Both her and Roger loved the place. And so what they did is they scrounged up enough money to put down on the house in order to be able to move in. The daughters were even so excited about it that they decided to make some homemade, handmade gifts and sell them in order to help fund being able to purchase this house. Now, after all the papers were signed and the parents were officially the new homeowners, Mr. Kenyon took Roger aside and he took him away from the rest of the family and told Roger 
that, quote, for the sake of his family, keep the lights on at night. Now, Roger just thought that it was because the place was very dark at night. You know, they were out in the middle of nowhere. The stairs were very steep. It was an old home. And uh, Mr. Kenyon was just concerned about the girls. He didn't want the girls to hurt themselves. The parents moved in on January 11th, 1971. The day they moved in, Mr. Kenyon was also moving out. So things were, you know, back and forth. They were really chaotic. During this time, there were two things that happened. As the girls helped their mom carry things into the kitchen, two of them noticed a man watching Mr. Kenyon pack up his things. This man was kind of standing a little bit in a closet and watching Mr. Kenyon. As they continued on into the kitchen, they asked their mom, who was that man? And their mom, you know, she's busy putting things away and, you know, was probably even too distracted to hear them. So she didn't really give them an answer. The man that was standing there, he wasn't helping Mr. Kenyon. He was just watching from inside the closet. The second thing that happened was that one of their cats wouldn't even go into the house. They had to physically carry her inside while she fought the entire time. Once she was inside the house, she ran and she hid and she would only come out to eat and use the litter box. At night, the cat usually slept with one of the girls. So the cat would then head to one of their bedrooms But as soon as they walked, the cat walked into one of the bedrooms, they'd look around and then literally bolt for the bed, hiding under the covers. She would continue to growl while under the covers until she eventually fell asleep. Now, while these two things are odd, the activity in the house really didn't start like aggressively. So one day while the older girls were at school and their youngest daughter was at home, Carolyn would hear noises above her, thinking that it was her youngest daughter. As she went to go say something and holler and say, hey, you know, keep it down, or what are you doing up there? She noticed that her daughter was standing right next to her. A clock that they had inherited and, of course, brought with them to the farmhouse uh, worked without fail. I mean, they had it forever, but it stopped running one day while it was in one particular room. Now, thinking that it was due to the slant of the floor, it was a very old house, after all. Uh, They moved it to another location where it again worked for a little while and then stopped again. Now, later on, Carolyn would realize that the times on the clock when it stopped directly corresponded with certain activity happening inside the house. Now, Andrea, remember, she's the oldest of all the girls. She liked to pretend that she was the teacher of her sisters. And she had a very large and heavy chalkboard in her room. Now, if you can picture one of the uh, very heavy old style chalkboards that stands on like two heavy oak sides with a great big chalkboard in the middle that you can spin That's actually what she had in her room. And of course she had, you know, erasers and chalk and all the things that you might find in an actual school setting. When the younger kids would get home, 
They'd all go to Andrea's room, which was the middle bedroom upstairs, and go to school with Andrea as their teacher. Andrea would write out lessons on the chalkboard, and then after playing school for a little while, they'd all get hungry and leave for, say, a snack. When they got back to the room, the lessons that Andrea had written on the chalkboard were either smeared or erased altogether. Now, after this happened for some time, Andrea decided she wanted that chalkboard moved and she wanted it moved to the woodshed. So Roger hauled it down the stairs and outside because it was way too heavy for Andrea to do it on her own. She would then hold classes for her sisters out in the woodshed. And for a very long time, nothing happened. One day after all the girls had uh, been out in the woodshed with Andrea going to Andrea's quote school, uh, they all went into the house for dinner. And when they came back out, the chalkboard was again smeared. Andrea, of course, she was incredibly frustrated by this time, and she told all of the girls that class was dismissed for that day, and after they had already all taken off, Andrea started to close the doors to the woodshed, but while she did, she hollered some not-so-nice words into the shed. Now, Roger had been doing some work outside when he called to Andrea, And Andrea met him at the woodshed and noticed that the chalkboard was not only a good 20 feet away from where it had been placed in the first place. It was so entirely destroyed that there was nothing left but splinters. During the first few weeks they were in the home, Carolyn began to feel sick to her stomach. Uh, She would close her eyes and she'd wait for the feeling to pass. We all know how that goes only to find out after she opened her eyes back up that a significant amount of time had passed. Now, one might think, well, hey, she probably just fell asleep, right? Carolyn, though, continued to feel worse and worse as time went on. Her joints began to ache and she had pains where she didn't have them before. Her first thought was that she had just overdone it. You know, she'd been moving all the heavy boxes and stuff, Over time, though, it just got worse and worse and worse. So she consistently also talked about how cold she was. Now, while there were plenty of cold spots in the house, if someone was right next to Carolyn, they wouldn't feel nearly as cold as she was. She could literally see her breath in front of her face while inside the house. She had also started to see things throughout the house, and she always felt like she was being watched. Now, their second youngest daughter, she all of a sudden started to not want to sleep alone in her bed, and she often went downstairs to sleep with her mom when Roger was gone on business trips. Additionally, there was a hallway on the first floor that connected the kitchen and the dining room. And it was by far one of the worst places in that house to walk through. And no one really voiced it or talked about it at the time. But often the girls would just run through the hall just to get from one place to another as quickly as they could so they didn't have to spend too much time within this small hallway. 
Not long after uh, they had moved in, one of the girls had a birthday. And for her birthday, she got a puppy. The puppy was, you know, sweet and loving. And all the girls just, of course, instantly fell in love with her. When it came time, though, to walk through that hallway, the puppy would just simply lay down on the floor and refuse to move. Roger, at one time, had tried to tug at her collar to bring her through this hallway, but she growled and snapped at him. And then they would stand in the kitchen at the other end of this hall from where the puppy was and try and entice her with a treat. But she wouldn't even move. She wouldn't even attempt to go get this food. The girls, as I mentioned before, they were the first ones to notice that they weren't alone. Now, they knew that when they had seen the man standing there in the closet when they moved in, uh, watching Mr. Kenyon, they realized that, hey, this, this was not a real, actual person. He didn't appear scary and almost seemed to smile at them. They never felt threatened by this, this person. And they gave him the nickname of Manny. Now, at this point, the girls, you know, they've seen Manny, uh, but they have had other experiences. But as of yet, they haven't been talking to each other about it. However, there was kind of a unspoken common knowledge between all of them that if they were playing together and someone had to go use the bathroom, a sister would always go with her. No one wanted to go off alone in the house. Now, eventually, poor Carolyn, Carolyn's pain has gotten so bad that she didn't even want to get out of bed. But, you know, she had five girls to care for. And Andrea at this time is, uh, even though she's the oldest, she's only about 12 years old. So Carolyn did what she could to keep up a brave front. To her family, though, their mom appeared to be aging in front of all of them almost overnight. The pantry door in the house, and it was in the hallway between the kitchen and the dining room, would not stay shut. They would latch this door repeatedly only to find it standing open yet again. And many times when the door would open, along with the door opening would come a putrid smell, a smell so bad that you could smell it in nearly every single room of the house. Now, Carolyn knows at this point that something is terribly, terribly wrong. Uh, but the thing is, is that she thinks it's only happening to her and she doesn't want to scare the girls. So she keeps her thoughts about what's going on to herself. What she didn't know was that all of the girls were in fact having their own experiences, but they didn't want to bother their mom with it because she was already feeling sick. They didn't want to add to what she was already going through. Now, Roger, when Roger would come home, Carolyn would voice her fears. She would tell him about um, how she was feeling, about how the door that was latched would always come open on its own, how the smell that came with it smelled like death. Uh, Roger chalked it up to her being alone all the time in the house and that there wasn't anything, quote, mysterious going on at all. 
The door opening was because the floors were uneven, and of course she was cold. It was a drafty house. As winter started to approach, the house just got colder and colder, and Carolyn, no matter what she did, could not get herself warm. It's as if the cold was coming from inside of her body, not from the outside. Now, there were some fireplaces in the home, uh, but there was one that seemed to still be in working order, but the problem was, was that it had been sealed shut. Carolyn thought, geez, wouldn't it be nice if we could just have a working fireplace? You know, I'm freezing all the time. I would love to be able to warm up. Um, Not long after they had moved in, actually, Mr. Kenyon paid them a visit to see how they were getting along. Carolyn then asked Mr. Kenyon about the fireplace and why it was sealed. He said that he had sealed all of them shut, but instead of explaining why he did, he just changed the subject. So one time while Roger was gone on a business trip, Carolyn decided to open up one of the fireplaces. She was so cold and the northeastern winters were hard enough to get through. The snowstorms were so bad that the whole family would participate in shoveling snow almost continuously. And this house, this house doesn't sit just like on your regular road. I mean, this house is a good ways down, so their driveway is incredibly long. The fireplace that Carolyn decided to open up uh, not only had been covered, but it also had been shoved full of dirt and horsehair. It took a very long time to clear the fireplace. And during this time, Roger would come home and he also helped her to get the fireplace in working order. They even brought in a chimney sweep uh, to come in and be sure that the fireplace was safe. And after the fireplace was opened, it triggered the worst of the attacks. It wasn't long after the fireplace had been totally cleared that the pantry door began to open and close on its own. Now, Roger, who was home at the time, he would go over to close the door and check the latch. He would then smell a putrid smell, something that smelled like death coming from the pantry, so much so that Roger thought that something had literally died in there. So what he did is he tore this pantry apart. He removed everything out of it. He checked behind the washer and dryer anywhere he could to try and find the source of the smell. But nothing was there that could have caused it. When he finished and walked out of the pantry, the room temperature had dropped so much that he could see his own breath and even his wife's breath. Thinking something was wrong with the thermostat, he walked over to see what the problem was, only to have the cold just completely dissipate. The door to the cellar, which actually was beside the pantry door, began to open at will. At first, it was just a little bit, like someone just wanted to kind of peek in and see what was going on. But along with the opening and closing, also came another terrible smell. Now, no one was ever allowed down in the cellar because the staircase was in such bad shape. It was very steep and the whole cellar floor was just nothing but dirt anyway. So in order to stop the door from opening, they put a desk in front of it. 
The pantry door, on the other hand, just kept opening on its own. And it became so commonplace that family members would just automatically go by and close it. I mean, it just was, it was just an automatic response, like walking out of a room and shutting off a light. Roger kept insisting it was just because the floors were uneven. There wasn't anything scary about it. The problem is, is that this still doesn't explain how the latch came undone. Carolyn had begun to think that maybe the reason that the fireplace had been sealed in the first place was because it was some kind of portal. One night, while Roger was away, Carolyn woke up to a sound that she swore, swore was the sound of the fireplace being lit. Her bedroom was on the ground floor and all of the girls had their rooms upstairs. They were all upstairs and being alone, you know, of course, Roger's gone. This, of course, scared her. So she bolted up in bed and she saw that the dresser inside of her own bedroom was on fire. She watched as the flames went into the air and then started to hit the lace curtains and then finally her bed She wanted to move and get out of there, but she couldn't. And then just like that, it was gone. She was finally able to get out of bed and go over and look at the dresser. Nothing was wrong with it. There was even still a small layer of dust on top of the dresser. And Roger, he's still not acknowledging what's going on in this house. He always had a logical explanation for it. So one time when he was gone, Carolyn decided that what she was going to do is call their mutual friend and their attorney, Sam. She told Sam everything that was going on in the house. And Sam believed her, which was a welcome relief to Carolyn since even her husband didn't believe what she had to say. He said that he too had a haunted house. But he further told her that you just learn to live with it. When Sam then repeated this information to Roger, all of a sudden Roger started to believe more of what Carolyn had been saying. And during this entire time, Carolyn is still not getting any better. She still feels as if her energy is being drained. And when people visit the farm and they see her, she appears to have aged decades overnight. And remember, at this point, Carolyn is in her 20s. It's not like she's in her 40s or 50s. She's in her 20s. For a few weeks, nothing happened. Spring had started to show up. And thankfully, Roger, he decided to work closer to home uh, because Carolyn was starting to freak out so much and, and hated him being gone all the time. So he did begin to work closer to home and was at home more often. And Roger and Carolyn, they took advantage of this, and they had a very rare uh, date night out. Now, after getting home that night, they both fell asleep rather quickly. Carolyn was woken up by footsteps in their room. She thought it was one of the girls, and without opening her eyes, she put out her arm to touch, you know, whichever daughter was standing there. And when she felt nothing, she opened her eyes and saw a woman floating above her. The woman had on an old green handmade dress 
that was cinched tightly with a belt, a lace collar, and her neck was hanging off to the side. This woman did not have a face. Instead, it looked like a hornet's nest with black holes for eyes and dark cobwebs covering all of it. Her teeth were sharp and yellow. She had what looked like sticks for arms and sprigs of what looked like hair coming out of her head. And she smelled so bad that Carolyn was certain she was going to throw up right there. The entire time that this is occurring, she is reaching over to her husband, Roger, to wake him up. She's kicking him. She's trying to push him. She's doing whatever she can. She even went so far as to pull his hair, but he would not wake up. Carolyn was sure he was dead. The room was freezing. Carolyn did not know what to do. And in her mind, she thought, God help me. And after this thought, the spirit disappeared. Now, during this time that this whole thing is going on and Roger is just literally laying there and he won't move regardless of what she does, Roger is actually also being attacked, but he doesn't realize it at the time. What happens later is that when he gets up and out of bed, there are welts and scratches all over his back. So Carolyn thought, okay, all of these things are happening to me this time. I am going to write this stuff down. So she goes out into the living room and she then uh, grabs whatever paper and pencils she could. And she begins to write down just fragmented thoughts of what she had seen. She had even drawn a rough sketch of what this thing looked like. Now, at the same time that Carolyn is sitting there writing all of this stuff down, her daughter, Andrea, headed downstairs and walked over to her mom and happened to notice what she was doing. Carolyn didn't want her to see it, so she tried to hide it from her, but it didn't work. Andrea said that she had woken up because she had a dream where the woman in Carolyn's drawing was hovering over her mom and her mom was screaming, but Andrea was unable to get out of bed and help her. Andrea told Carolyn that in her dream, the thing that was hovering over her wanted to kill her mom. Of course, now Carolyn is furious that her kids are now being affected. But what she didn't know was that all the girls had all had their own experiences, but they didn't want to say anything to their mom. Like I had said, because she'd been feeling so sick, they didn't want to make things worse. Andrea then went on to tell her mom about all the things that she had seen, that she sees shadows in her bedroom and she hears voices before she goes to sleep at night, but she can't understand what they're saying. Andrea will be sitting there doing homework at her desk when things on her desk just move around on their own. Andrea is scared to take a shower alone because she feels like something is watching her. And as Andrea wraps up her conversation with her mom, another daughter comes downstairs and tells her mom about a bad dream that she had. She then opens up, and this is Cindy. Cindy then opens up about what she has been experiencing. 
She told her mom that all of her toys move around on their own. Even if she goes just to use the bathroom, she'll come back and they'll all be in different spots. She then tells the both of them that there's a lady that comes in after her mom leaves. And this lady leans over to kiss her, but she never feels anything. But she does say that this lady smells different than mom, where mom smells like soap. This lady smells like flowers and fruit. After this lady leaves, another one comes in, but not until later. And according to Cindy, it's always when there are threes on the clock. This lady makes the room cold and the room stinks. Cindy then says she's the one who hates mom. Eventually, all of the girls open up to their mom about what has been happening to them. Nancy says that she hears footsteps all of the time. They're loud and heavy. She hears them in her closet, but she also hears them coming up the stairs and then stopping at her door. She then waits for the door to open, but it never does. She often finds her stuff missing, and when she does find it, it's in a weird place. Nancy's closet door also opens all by itself. Each of them had so much to say that they were almost all talking at once. The phone receiver would be off the hook, would be lifted up and just hanging in the air, and then would all of a sudden just crash down so that it was just hanging by its cord. The refrigerator opens by itself and stuff comes out of it. The doors open whenever they want, and they sometimes slam in your face when you're trying to go into another room. There are shadows on the walls in the bedrooms, black clouds. One of the daughters said, quote, I cover up myself and pray to God to make it go away. One of them said that they saw a cat run through, through the bathroom door when it was closed. Cindy even said that her bed shakes and moves around and that her sister helps her to put it back where it belongs in the mornings. She further talks about a little girl that walks through her bedroom at night crying for her mom. They then talk about the barn and tell her that when they go and play in the barn, the barn shakes and hums like it's singing. And one of them said that it makes her feel kind of sick. The tools in the barn move around and jingle, and often their stuff goes missing. Toys that they've brought into the barn end up back in the house. Carolyn, then, after hearing all of this, is just dumbfounded. She's asking, she asks all of them, how long has this been going on? And they all say that it was since they moved in. So, at this point, it's been six months. Carolyn, at this point, she'd had it. She's like, this is done, it's affecting my kids, I want out of here, I want to sell the place. But all the girls said, absolutely not. They loved it there, they still wanted to live there. In the meantime, Roger, he would come home and he'd grab the bills and he'd be looking over the bills and notice that their utility bill was extraordinarily high. And of course, he blamed Carolyn for it. It was triple of what Mr. Kenyon's bills were. Now, Carolyn, she couldn't figure out why, because they weren't leaving lights on or they weren't running anything that would cause the bills to be that high. So she had no explanation for this. 
Carolyn then further explained to Roger what the girls had told her. And Roger, he turns around and he instead blames Carolyn for putting those ideas into the girls' heads. Now, during all of these episodes, you know, this is not the first moment of contention that Roger and Carolyn had had. The tension between them had just been systematically growing. Carolyn, she knew what was happening. And she also knew Roger refused to believe her time and time again. And as these arguments would continue to escalate, this only seemed to feed the spirits in the house and the activity in the house. Roger then began to have his own experiences. One night, Roger and Carolyn woke up to find their bed had been moved to a totally different spot in their bedroom. Roger didn't even acknowledge it. He just put the bed back where it belonged with Carolyn still in it. And then he went out to make coffee. As he's making coffee, he felt a woman touch his shoulders and his back. He thought it was Carolyn, so he mentioned something about the coffee and turned around, but no one was there. He checked all of the nearby rooms and eventually went back to the bedroom where he found Carolyn still sound asleep. He woke her up to tell her what had happened when the same thing that happened in the kitchen happened to him again. It was at this point that Roger finally told Carolyn that he had noticed that the desk that they had put in front of the the door, the cellar door, had been moved away from its spot about an inch. And that when he closed the door and he put the latch back in place, he watched as the latch moved on its own, trying to open up again. Now, in 1973, a family friend told Carolyn about some people that may be able to help them. And these were Ed and Lorraine Warren. Now, the Warrens were one of the very first well-known ghost hunters. Lorraine was a psychic medium, and Ed was more than a paranormal investigator. He was actually a demonologist. Now, this means that he has studied demons and evil spirits and knows how to identify them. It's important to note, though, that even though he studies them, It doesn't mean that he himself could perform an exorcism. For that, you actually need a Catholic priest. Now, Ed is known for saying, quote, The fairy tale is true, that God exists, that evil exists, and it depends on which one we elect to follow. Now, Carolyn, finding out that the Warrens were giving a lecture nearby, she catches up to them to let them know what was happening in their home. The Warrens believe her, and they offer to help her for free. Now, Roger, he is not happy, not happy in the least bit about someone coming to the home and researching their house. He still feels, even though he's seen things himself, that Carolyn was just losing her grip on reality. Now, this is what he would say out loud, even though he had had his own experiences, of course, He never wanted to face what was actually happening, and so what he would do is he would ignore them just altogether. When Lorraine first visited the property, she immediately sensed that something horrible was in the house. Lorraine gave it the name of Bathsheba. Now, Bathsheba was in fact a real person and lived in the area in the 1800s. 
While her gravestone still stands, it is questionable as to whether or not this is actually where her body is. History has Bathsheba labeled as a witch who had uh, three children die before the age of seven, and one child whom she was caring for died in her care. Now, this baby was found to have a small puncture wound in the back of their head that was made by a needle. And uh, Bathsheba went on trial and and everything, but she was acquitted uh, because there wasn't enough evidence um, to indict her. But, you know, the entire town still turned on her. There is conflicting evidence about who Bathsheba really was. Now, some say that it's all just rumors and uh, rumors that have been handed down from generation to generation. Others say, however, that she was, in fact, a horrible, horrible woman. And this is as by as being described by an elderly gentleman who was actually a child while Bathsheba was still alive and that she was thought to be some kind of witch. However, since the figure that Carolyn and the girls had seen seemed to have a broken neck, some think it's instead Mrs. John Arnold, who at 93, remember, hung herself in the barn. You know, the bottom line is terrible things are happening in this home. And whether or not you can put like, hey, this is Bathsheba, this is, you know, Mrs. Arnold, this is X, this is Y, this is Z, doesn't really matter if you can uh, put a name on it because the things are still occurring, right? During this year, the Warrens visited the farm many times and thoroughly believed that uh, whatever is in that house cannot be removed. Uh, During one of their trips, a seance was performed. Now, along with the Warrens, a medium and a priest were also there. A tech crew had set up equipment around the house to record everything. Now, Andrea secretly watched as the seance was performed. After about a minute, she watched as her mom began to speak in a language that is, quote, not of this world and in a voice not her own. Carolyn's heavy maple dining room chair was lifted and then thrown with Carolyn still in it into the parlor. You know, at this point, Robert, he's furious about what's going on. He wants everybody to leave and he actually ends up punching Ed Warren in the face. It took about an hour to bring Carolyn back to consciousness. And based on an interview today in 2022, she has literally no recollection of this whatsoever. When the seance was all over, everything that the tech crew had recorded was blank. All the cameras that they had set up and were located in the cellar were destroyed. For the next six years, activity continued to occur. Now, the parents, they are very vocal as to why they just didn't pack up and leave the farm. The economy at the time was horrible. House values had dropped substantially. If you wanted gas for your car, you could only fill up your car based on the last number of your license plate. So if you had an odd number, you could fill up one day. If you had an even number, you had to fill up a different day. 
the bottom line is they simply couldn't afford it. They hadn't even built up equity in the farm yet. Eventually, the parents did move out in 1980, and Carolyn was certain that she would not survive another winter there. By this time, they were convinced that the house wasn't just haunted. It was a portal that was made to look like a farmhouse. Now, in June of 2019, Corey and Jennifer Heinzen, they purchased the home, knowing full well its history. Paranormal investigators themselves, they were happy to purchase the property. Within five minutes of them entering the home, a door that had been latched opened up right in front of them. At least twice, a book in the library gets pulled off the shelf and lands on the floor. Now, since the Heinzens had set up cameras throughout the house, this book getting tossed off the shelf is on video at least twice. And if you're curious as to what this book is, because it's the same book, it is the book called Moral Relativity, and it's by David B. Wong. And as usual, I'll have links for you after uh, at the end of this podcast on the Instagram page. The Heinzens describe the house as being very mischievous. Things get moved, they get thrown, they get misplaced. Other people get touched and scratched, but not the family. Only visitors and other investigators that they allow into the home. The family does say, though, that they feel drained a lot and they often have to leave just to get some kind of normalcy back into their lives. Now, several psychics have come in and have told the owners that whatever is there is just playing with them, that the house is just lying low. Often within the house, they would see flashes. So if you can uh, picture those old school bulbs in the in old, old, old cameras that leave you blind momentarily after the super bright flash goes off, this is what they see in some of the rooms. They'll see them on the ceiling and they'll see them on the floor, have no idea where they come from. Black shadows are also frequent. They look like smoke, but they are blacker than black. You cannot see through them. Now, multiple paranormal groups have investigated this house, and it's not uncommon for equipment's batteries to drain either when they're starting the investigation or even during the investigation. It's thought that spirits use this energy from electronic devices to communicate. The Heinzens have, since they purchased the home in 2019, they've allowed multiple paranormal groups to come and stay the night, you know, to take tours or even investigate on their own. But in May of this year of 2022, they actually sold the house. And the only rule for the buyer of the home was that whomever purchased the home could not live inside the house year-round. The energy is just too powerful, and they put this order in as a protection for the buyer. So who bought the house? Well, it was purchased by a Boston developer with a, quote, deep belief in the paranormal by the name of Jacqueline Nunez, 
Uh, she promised to continue the paranormal business that the Heinzens began, which includes tours, you know, live streamed events, and even overnight investigations. And uh, you too, if you're interested, can visit the Conjuring House uh, website at theconjuringhouse.com. To this day, Carolyn refuses to go back to the house. April, the youngest, um, what many of the family members didn't know is that she had a friend in the house that she would often talk to, but she never told anyone about this friend until 30 years after they had moved out. Now, Cindy, Cindy took the brunt of it. Cindy had actually been born with a birth defect, and when she was two months old, she had surgery And during the surgery, she had died and then was brought back. Andrea firmly believes that she was brought back as a very old soul. And so the spirits actually attached themselves more to her than they did um, any other child in the home. And April, the youngest, unfortunately, uh, passed away uh, from an accidental overdose of a fentanyl patch that was prescribed in connection with the surgery that she had had. Now, if you want to learn more about the house, um, Andrea Perrin has written three books on the topic called House of Darkness, House of Light. These books will definitely open your eyes to much more of what has occurred uh, within the house and to the family. So thank you all so much for listening. I appreciate all of you. I hope you realize that. As usual, I will have links to all of the sources mentioned in this story, as well as links as to where you can find all of the books mentioned here. So again, thank you. And until next time. <music>